0: I'm amelia and i'm rachel do you like the macabre mysteries mortality more m words well you'll like
1: murder, murder and, and medicine.
0: medicine the true crime podcast that brings fascinating forensics cryptic cold cases psychedelic psychology medical maladies and other alluring alliterations join us y'all? Yo. How you doing? Hey.
1: <laughs> doing a podcast with Fonzie.
0: <laughs> I'm old. I've got all the catchphrases from creepy old men. Ew. Oh, I but they weren't creepy back in the day. They were cool. No,
1: they were hot. But now you look at them and you're like, yeah. wrinkly.
0: It's kind of like all, the, all, the, all my favourite songs from my childhood mm-hmm. are all creepy, like going, hey, little girl. And I'm like, no, no. It's like, I'm watching you. No, no.
1: I was actually thinking the other day about, you know, um, songs that women sang that were released, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. that if men sang them today – would be so creepy. And there was one that... What it? One in particular. It was... Um, oh, hang on. You know... Come on now. Hang on, I've got to get, get it in my head. When I think about you, I touch myself. <gasps> if a if guy a man sang said that, that, it would be like, oh, my God. But because a girl sang it, it's okay. It's fine, yeah. Oh,
0: well, That'll be the next one. All, all of our songs are going to be getting thumbs down soon once, once people have finished umming and ahhing about the boys songs they'll be like well equal opportunity now we have to hate all the girls songs <laughs> yeah that's right so it's gonna be sad but yeah it, it like all my favorite songs e- every song from the 50s and 60s it's like uh-oh mm. and i'm like but it's such good music i still want to bop i know bopping is cool bopping is cool anyway um so we're back now that we found where it's at no. um it's been a while splat so, um, it's been 500 years and two days. Oh, yeah. Since we've been gone. Since we've that been gone. That was a long two Lots weeks. Of song. Yeah. I
1: said last episode we will be back in two weeks, and I think and it's been six weeks. It's been a lot. A but, lot of um, weeks. Too many weeks.
0: It has been too many weeks. So, what's, but nobody notices.
1: So no. Well, we don't, <laughs> I don't think many people listen to us. Yes, oh, they do. Yet. Um Um But, well, so. Yeah. We have had just a barrage of things happening in life that have prevented us from Bloody getting life. together. Ugh. First of all, there were school holidays and that was the two weeks that we were going to be off anyway. Yeah.
0: But there was also batches sicknesses. of sicknesses. Oh, Everybody got sick. I
1: got sick for like three weeks straight. I was and sick
0: every second week.
1: We couldn't even record because I was still croaky and coughing. Mm-hmm. I'm still a little bit croaky, but at least now I'm not sounding nasally. Um, yep. I still cough at yeah. night, but... It's daytime, oh, so. I,
0: just, I don't care about you coughing at night, it no, doesn't exactly. factor in with me. Yeah, we don't but live like, together.
1: Um, and you got sick after me, so I was getting better, and then you and then got, I got sick.
0: sick, and then one of the kids ah. was sick, and then the other kid was sick, oh, and then I was gosh. sick again, and then another kid was sick, and then another kid was sick, and then I was sick again. It's,
1: it's, um, it's, it's winter, winter here, <laughs> it's been yeah, a it's, rough. It's winter. it's winter here. It sounds a bit weird for maybe some US listeners, but and other parts of the world that have summer right now, and they're sweltering hot. <laughs> It's like I wish I was like, like no you don't taking clothes off and we're putting clothes on but yeah, yeah. it was and like um really cold last night too yeah for all, us for us yeah <laughs> it was still above zero degrees Celsius but but that's, cold, but for that's us. cold for us
0: like if it gets close to the zeros on on Celsius if it gets close to the zeros we're like
1: ah no I don't know how other people survive in countries that are they have minus- they
0: have central heating probably. You have such mas- so.
1: yeah. But when they go outside,
0: you you wear a coat, and oh. did you know, other places when you go, you have your coat, and then you put your coat on a coat holder, like a coat rack. Whereas in our country, it's like a hat stand. You don't you don't need <laughs> coats, so you don't have a rack to put the coat.
1: No, we're more likely to have like um, hat stands or something because it's really hot and you have to. We wear don't a have
0: hat, hat stands here. I don't think we believe in stands of any kind.
1: People just wear hats inside.
0: No, they just don't wear hats. All jacket. No hat, all no play, man. Oh, at school, do they have hat stands at school? I don't think they do. No. their the hat stands? Because
1: their hats are like squishy and they, they can just put, put them, them in the bag. Oh <gasps> jinx.
0: Oh my gosh, now we can't talk. Wait, which one? Wait. Who can't talk? I said jinx. You said jinx, Amelia. You... I can't Amelia. talk. Stop Amelia. Stop talking, stop talking. Oh, I can talk now. Yeah. Yay. I, I didn't I never had friends, so I didn't I didn't learn that. I think that that game. that's the rule. <laughs> anyway, hi Anyway, hi, we're going to talk about weird, weird things. We're, we're going to start the podcast, shall we? We are going we? to start the podcast um, One thing before we start, um, we're probably going to be fortnightly, so oh, yes. enjoy it
1: Yeah, we're, we're, we need to slow down a bit Yeah <laughs> Life
0: <laughs> Anyway, um, um, so back to today's topic, which is...
1: The shark arm murders. Bam, bam,
0: bam, bang. Murders. Yeah, murders. Ooh. You didn't
1: expect that, did you?
0: No. All yeah. I know is there's a shark and there's an arm. Yes. And I didn't know there was a, a plural of murderiness. No. Are we pro shark or or? Um, I'm pro shark. I'm I'm pro shark too. So I'm glad we're both on the same pro shark page. Pro
1: shark. Sharks are important to the. Yeah, I don't like the killing of, of sharks. Yeah. I say
0: it's their water. It let is. them live in it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Otherwise, we should let the sharks come over here and kill us. It's like, oh, you guys are standing on land. Let's kill you. You're near yeah, me. Exactly. You're near my water. Exactly.
1: Well, I think, I don't know, no, maybe they do sometimes. I think in shallow water they do. But what? Kill people? Water, yeah, they come oh, up to shallow water. If they're hungry. Water.
0: Yeah, sure, if go
1: Yeah, but I think only if they're hungry. I think they don't really prefer human taste. I think they prefer fishy taste. Yeah. So Which makes the same sure <laughs> i've never but, tasted human so but i don't think i want to Wouldn't it be a difference
0: because white meat and red meat mm.
1: i think i've heard that um humans taste very similar to pork yeah and um, i was eating pork ribs the other night going mm, human it just tastes like a human <laughs> well, but no i don't know if it, i can't cannot confirm no no Anyway, Back so to story. yeah, so this story is this is an Australian story that starts in an aquarium in Sydney. Oh, Nemo. No, we're oh. not going to talk about Nemo. Nemo didn't
0: get eaten Sorry. by a shark?
1: No. Dory um, didn't
0: get
1: eaten by a shark? Uh, no, fortunately, they became friends. Remember? Fish are friends, not food. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so, yeah, the, the Sharkar murders. So, this is a true crime, Australian true crime that happened in the 1930s. And it is famous for the very peculiar one in a million chance uh, series of events. Can mm. I interrupt? Just mm. I just need to get this out okay. before we get serious. Okay.
0: Mate.
1: Mm. Mate. <laughs> the name's Bruce. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. All right, okay. Okay. Focus, focus. Yes,
0: yes. It had to happen. It had to happen. I just had to get that out. (laughs) Now I'm ready for serious. Okay. So we're in the 1930s. We're in Sydney. Mm -hmm. We're at an aquarium.
1: Yeah, so um, pardon me. You're pardoned. Thank you. The discovery of one single severed arm uncovered a massive underground ring of corruption, exploitation, fraud, and murders, Ooh. but to this day, no one was ever convicted, yeah. convicted of the shark arm murders. Oh, it's
0: still mm. it's still unsolved.
1: Well, there's theories, Ooh. and we'll get to the theories. Probably not today. We'll mm. probably do a, a and whole next time. other next time Ooh. of theories because there's quite a you know when when you've got a case that has theories, they tend to be quite a few of them. That's the And mm-hmm. They can be open for discussion. So maybe we'll yeah, we'll save that. Okay. Um because we've got a lot of interesting things to get through today. Cool. So um let's start. Yeah. On the twenty fifth of April nineteen thirty five, a shark vomited up a human arm at a Sydney aquarium. Now this aquarium you're thinking aquarium, so you're thinking like glass and you're looking at an aquarium, you know, aquarium. Yeah. But it was actually a seawater bather's bath. So if you could imagine like an Olympic 50-metre swimming pool but turned into a display of seawater creatures. Oh. So this place was called the Coogee Aquarium Baths on Coogee Beach, which was owned by Charlie and Bert Hobson. And <clears throat> pardon me. See, my voice is still a bit croaky. Water.
0: Maybe I should do the talking. My voice isn't croaky. I know the story. <clears throat>
1: do you? Something to Yes. And the beach. Mm-hmm. And the bathers. And bathers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Got it. And these brothers, these so Bert, Charlie and Bert Hobson, these were brothers who, um, they had the great idea of showcasing sea creatures in their seawater baths during the cooler months when people were less likely to use the baths as a swimming area. That's an
0: idea, yeah. Yeah.
1: And what people wanted to see were sharks. They did have other animals from time to time, like a, they had a seal at some point. But sharks were the one that really reeled the people in. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that, um, was, <laughs> oh, that took me a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Actually, had to point that was, at me to get that. <laughs> that was, was like, unintended. Wait, <laughs> and <Sorry. clears throat> and there were some real big whoppers of sharks in. How deep the area. is this little pool? Um. Just so, if you would just imagine like you know a normal swimming pool, yeah, and it's got like a shallow end and a deep end, yeah. and it's like about fifty meters long. It's that's
0: yeah. And you've put in a shark in there. Yeah, poor thing.
1: Yeah, mm, I know. All right. Yeah, it's um. I've got a few things to say about that, but anyway. Um. <clears throat> so for a bit of context, in Australia, our cooler months which we've just been talking about are oh, uh, in the middle of the year, so less people are hanging around the beaches, and they kind of needed a. Good, in, good business enterprise to come up with during those quieter months. Um, however, I don't believe it was very ethical. But um, that's the 30s as well. Yeah. Most of the sharks ended up dying within oh. weeks of being captured, which is extremely sad. But back in those days, it wasn't really seen as anything unethical. Mm. Humans, superior. Sharks, not, not superior. So the Hobson brothers would catch the sharks in the ocean and then trawl them back to the aquarium where they advertised feeding times, where they'd get massive numbers of people paying to see the shark chomping on whatever unfortunate animal was thrown into the pool for dinner. So things like rabbits, sheep, etc. Those sharks would
0: be like going, what?
1: What yeah, am I eating. What
0: kind of fish is this? <laughs> it's like, do they skin them first? Um, I actually don't know because if
1: you think about it, a, like sheep, a sheep. Oh my gosh. I'm sure it would have been shorn off first because oh, you wouldn't would... want to waste that wool. Or also, it
0: would you know tough tummy troubles with <laughs> yeah. a sheep wool. Like some of our sheep's get lots of wool's. You know. Yes. Yeah, man. Well, I'm
1: um, poor sheep. Yeah, poor but, sheep. But um, maybe it was torso guy.
0: <laughs>
1: um but no, um I don't I don't know oh, wait, the details. Um of that.
0: if you want to know about the torso guy joke, that is our episode That's the
1: first episode, I think. Uh episode one Suponification. Yeah, uponification There you go.
0: Episode one, Suponification, Torso Guy. Yeah. And now come back to us. Yeah. Or oh, <clears throat> that is us as well. well I'm just saying this yes. episode.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um Okay, so the first shark to be exhibited was caught in 1930. It was a 14-foot tiger shark who they called Gertie and named by the newspapers as 14 feet of death. So like massive.
0: How much is 14 feet in meters? It's niches? um
1: it's over 4 meters long. Just over 4 meters. All right. So that's twice as high as a tall
0: person. Two tall yes. people in, in yeah. a row.
1: Huge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and she was extremely popular. Oh. Um probably because she was big and dangerous After and she had a cute name. <clears throat> yeah, name. and after Gertie more than 20 sharks were ex- exhibited by the Hobsons in the next few years but like I say they didn't last very long. Yeah you so. could have just had one if you looked after it because mm. they live a long time. Or you could have just left them in the ocean and just put a net around the, bar- the know, maybe they did have nets um, In 1932 they had three sharks in the pool at the same time and the public went wild But unfortunately, like I said, none of them really survived for that long. Right, so this is the shark we're coming to. On Wednesday, the 17th of April, 1935, Bert and his nephew went out to catch a new shark for their display at the bather's bath. They didn't catch anything, so they left several fixed lines with bait on them overnight. When they came back in the morning, they found that a small shark had eaten from one of the lines and was hooked. But then a larger shark, a large tiger shark, which was 14 foot 6 inches, so even bigger than Gertie, um, like 4.4 metres. I think I remember looking it up as about 4.4 metres. And this tiger shark had come along and attacked and eaten this smaller shark but also ended up caught in all the other lines that they'd left out and it had exhausted itself trying to get loose. I know. I know, Amelia's like, looks like she's about to cry. I know, it's very sad. So by the time the Hobsons got there, it was very tired, didn't put up much of a fight. You know, it's pretty docile and I guess easy enough for them to be able to get into land and into the aquarium. So the book Shark Arm by Philip Roop and Kevin Ma really explains how brutal the shark catchings were and pretty traumatic to the sharks. And I have a quote from their book. They towed the shark back to the north end of Coogee Beach where it was hauled out of the water, manhandled onto a large ladder, pulled across the beach with ropes, lifted by a large body of men into the aquarium. Oh. This exhausting process took 45 minutes and by the time the shark was in water again, it was barely alive. End quote. Oh. I know. Poor thing, hey? Oh. Now. Yes. Something that I found out that was pretty cool though. Have you ever heard that sharks have to keep swimming, otherwise they'll die?
0: Just keep swimming. Just yeah. keep swimming. We're not talking about Nemo. Ah. Oh. Oh. But um yeah, but don't they have to like sleep swim? Like they have to Yeah, like don't they um yeah, it go on. <laughs>
1: Well, I found out during my research that it's not exactly true for most sharks. Many sharks do have to keep swimming so that the water can pass over their gills so the gills can take up oxygen. Great white sharks and hammerheads are an example of this. They have to keep swimming to get oxygen from the water and stay alive. So this is called obligate ram ventilation. But some sharks, like the tiger shark, which is what this shark was, can alternate between ram ventilation and another breathing technique called buckle pumping, mm. which is where they can pump water through their mouth and over the gills. When they are swimming slowly, they do buckle pumping because they're not going fast enough to get enough water passing over the gills. But when they swim fast enough, they can actually give their mouths a break and just let water passively cross the gills. Fact of the day. That was very interesting. Yeah. In any case, buckle breathing uses a lot of energy in sharks, so they prefer the more passive type of breathing as it uses less energy. So being tangled in all of those lines meant that that tiger shark would have had to use a lot of energy. So it was already exhausted, and then being hauled out of the water and into the aquarium for 45 minutes was just a very cruel thing to do to this creature, and it never fully recovered from all of this. Yeah, sad. So basically this shark just lay at the bottom of the pool and refused to eat anything. I know, so sad. I know, the poor thing. And this is like a massive shark too. So you just think this massive shark just lying on the bottom nearly dead. It's just sad.
0: Did they ever like go, oh, maybe we should not do this? (laughs) Yeah, maybe we should care a bit, yeah. Or they're Mm. like throwing at food going, why don't you want it? Why don't you want it instead of going? Maybe it's injured. Or yeah, maybe, maybe we did hurt. something
1: to it. Like maybe we shouldn't have taken it out of its habitat. Yeah.
0: Maybe breathing air, and not breathing watery air, is bad for sharks. Maybe like know?
1: trawling across the sand is like really okay. brutal and mm. not very nice. Imagine if you were like, it's the it's equivalent to where they ha- they used to like drag the accused witches through the water. And that was traumatic because yeah. most of them died from that, and well, then they were deemed not a witch. But also, if you got
0: dunked at the beach for yeah. forty-five minutes, exactly for forty, yeah, exactly, we'll
1: and it would be very painful. Yeah. And if you weren't dead, you'd be pretty close to be dead. Yeah, and you'd dead. be
0: like all bruised and yeah, scratched, exactly, and um, not happy, you mm. know, and not nice. I wouldn't want to eat after all, all that exactly. forty-five minutes dunking Your the body water. would
1: be shutting down and going yeah no food please. It's like night time yeah. Yeah. So the Hobsons didn't really know what to do about this so what they did was they pumped oxygen into the pool and it kind of woke the, the shark up a little bit and finally ate a few little bits and pieces but not very much and all it did was swim very slowly from one end of the pool to the other end and then back again but this shark was still a very sick shark so I guess it was just like I'm gonna swim so I can sort of breathe, and but yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't oh, in a we good have way. Done a disclaimer. Sorry, trigger warning. Um, poor shark. Yeah, <coughs> I'm.
0: I'm. I wasn't expecting so much sadness. Like, I know. My poor baby shark.
1: Oh. I know. Um. <sighs> okay. So let's fast forward a week later. So is that a good thing or a bad thing?
0: Uh, Less suffering for us. We don't have to listen to the traumatic week that the shark has more, just
1: had. Well, it's probably going to be a bit worse. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Um, So fast forward a week later on Anzac Day. Anzac Day yeah. um,
0: is... Look it up.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'll explain what Anzac Day is very briefly. So on Anzac Day 1935, which that's... This is when shit went down. So... Anzac Day, to those unfamiliar with it, stands for Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. And Anzac Day is the anniversary of the tragic Gallipoli landings in World War I. So the backstory is that at dawn on the 25th of April 1915, around 16,000 troops landed on the Gallipoli shore at what is now called Anzac Cove. And this was part of a campaign to capture the peninsula, but it was a tragic failure, and around 2,000 of the troops had been killed or wounded by the end of the day. This is definitely a story for another day. Mm-hmm. However, Anzac Day for Australians in New Zealand as well, while it's known as a huge tragedy, is also commemorated each year with recognition of those that gave their lives, not just for World War I, but encompassing all wars that Australia has been involved in in one way or another. And the National Museum of Australia describes the values of the Anzac tradition as, quote, the Gallipoli. Have a drink. No, thank you. The Gallipoli campaign was a military failure. However, the traits that were shown there bravery, ingenuity, endurance, and mateship have become enshrined as defining aspects of the Australian character. End quote. So this kind of gives a bit of insight as to the ideals and meaning around Anzac Day and it's a great example of the camaraderie displayed by Aussies as part of our culture in general.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like Remembrance Day or, you know, like it's just a day where you just think about how lucky we
1: are and yeah. sacrifice and exactly. stuff like that. And back then, like now, because this is 1915, so now I'm pretty sure we don't have any World War One survivors anymore. I think we the might last have, like, one, one, the but... la- he, he he's either still going and very old. No, I think he died. Oh. all right then. Yeah, but anyway, um, you... basically, there's no one left of those original Anzac soldiers. Uh huh. Um, but back then it was only the twentieth, yeah. the twentieth anniversary of the Gallipoli landing. Ooh. So. This, the general atmosphere of the people living or visiting Coogee at the time would have just been very sombre and remembering those that gave their lives and um, quite proud of um, how hard everyone fought and things like that. Yeah, it would be like people's dads
0: and stuff maybe. Oh yeah, definitely. Or even mm. you
1: know brothers, uncles, husbands. Um, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and Anzac Day is a public holiday here in Australia, and this was a Thursday, so everyone had a day off. woo Whoops, I just uh, banged something. Are you okay? <clears throat> I'm okay. Uh, but since, by this time of year, the weather is getting cold, the beach wasn't really that busy, and the aquarium bath was in its sea creature cycle, obviously, because there's a shark in there, rather than its swimmer cycle. Um By the afternoon there were only about 12 patrons at the pools and they were just looking at the tiger shark doing its slow pacing up and down, sad stuff. And it just so happened that a proofreader for the Sydney Morning Herald named Narciss Leo Young I hope I said that right. That's a cool name. Narciss, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Narcissist. Narciss Leo Young was one of these patrons and he had been watching the shark go up and down the pool when he saw, quote, it commenced to flay the water with its tail, beating the water to a foam. I was three or four metres from the shark and clearly saw come out of its mouth a copious brown froth which smelled really foul, End quote. So this brown froth settled and what he could see was a dead bird, a dead rat, a load of muck, parts of another shark and dun-dun-dun, a human arm. What? Yep. So Bert Hobson Hobson grabbed a stick and kind of guided the arm to the side of the pool and Charlie Hobson called the police. <clears throat> so Detective Constable Frank Head and Constable John Mannion arrived at the scene. Detective Constable Head wrote in his police report later, "Quote, I proceeded to the baths, and there saw floating in the water the left arm of a human being, which had apparently been wrenched from the body at the shoulder joint. We retrieved the arm from the water, and on examining it, found that it had two large, incised wounds on the upper and lower parts respectively. We also found that on the inside arm there was a tattoo mark of two men in the fighting attitude.' there was tied around the wrist in a half-hitch knot a piece of cheap manila three-quarter-inch rope. The arm is in a fair state of preservation, except that the skin on the heel and palm of the hand has crumpled and become detached, end quote. (laughs) I love that smile that you gave at the end when I said that. (coughs) We're very morbid. (laughs) So it was just because we know, like, exactly what he's saying. It Mm. sounds... A lot less gory, just crumpled and, and detached. It just doesn't sound that bad, but, you know, we know how to visualize it. Yeah, when we know how to visualize that, it's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> so that part about the tattoo, that was two boxes. So the I'll give a description. That was... um there were two boxes, and they were facing each other like in a fighting stance, like, um, you know, ready to punch on with boxing gloves. Like good for identification. uh, Yes. Yes. And that does become handy later
0: on. Save the arm with the tattoo, not the arm without the tattoo. I know
1: it's like, yeah, man, why did you do that? (laughs) But, uh, let's just see what happens. So the arm was quite well preserved and, they presumed that this was because the smaller shark had eaten the arm first. And then shortly after that, it was killed by killed and eaten by the tiger shark, the large one. So all of the smaller shark's digestive system and acids and whatever had stopped being produced because it was now dead. And because it was inside the smaller shark, it was protected from the larger shark's digestive juices mm. and it wasn't digested. So that's why they think it was in such a... They had other theories as well. But you know, I thought that was probably the most compelling reason. Yeah.
0: Notice how the shark threw up the non-fish items. Mm. You didn't get any pieces of shark or other fish.
1: Well, there was um, the it did vomit up the smaller shark pieces of the smaller shark as well. Yeah, and And a bird and a rat. Giant shark. That was in his quote. It could have been um, they might not have had a chance to actually feed it anything more. Because it wasn't eating, yeah. So time. um, it might not have had a chance to eat rabbits and sheep and stuff like that. Oh well, yeah,
0: but I'm, I was just thinking that it's it's throwing up the non fish things. But um, if it threw up some shark as well, then it's just throwing
1: up everything. But yeah, and the sh- I think it was like there, there they were that like that fish bones and stuff inside yeah, there as well. But I
0: like yeah. I like to say that it, it threw up a whole rat and a whole bird and a whole arm. But it only threw up little bits of the fish because that's what it wanted to eat. And so it just threw up the, the bones of the fish.
1: Possibly. Because
0: it, it said, that's my food. The other things are not my food. I did not want to eat rabbits and birds. Possibly, and yeah. That's mm. what I'm going to say.
1: Okay. That's, that's, that's good. Or it could have just been like very – because it did, it did die shortly after all of these things happened. It didn't survive, basically.
0: I think I'm. I'm actually happy that it's dead because I didn't like it suffering.
1: Yeah, I'm. I would have preferred it to be alive and in the ocean, or um, dead before
0: they trawl it across the sand. Please, cut it free know, and slice its throat and let it be.
1: Well, the the thing is, it's such a horrible way to die. Like, can you imagine if that was done to a dog, or mm. a cat, or one of the animals that are domesticated and people have emotional attachments to? People wouldn't stand for having that happen well, to yeah, those. Like you hear so it, why is it okay to do it to a well, shark it, one, just because it's got teeth?
0: It was the 1930s. Mm. And two, people don't like sharks. Because like you hear about that happening at the zoo where the animal starts pacing and they're mm. like, oh, the animal's sad, let's cheer it up. Mm. But the shark starts pacing and they're like, oh, we don't care. Mm, I know. Yeah, I know. But the shark
1: was pacing because it was trying to breathe, because it was in a tiny pool. I know. and probably, didn't, probably didn't, didn't have enough energy to open and close its mouth to do the buckle pumping. Yeah, <laughs> it was, so probably was trying just to get like, speed up. I'm just, like, going to swim. It's less just energy. Just keep swimming. Because I think once they get their inertia up, it's not very much energy for them to actually just propel through the water. Yeah,
0: but if they don't have enough space, if they have to turn around because it's just that would, a little pool, it's that like would use energy. crap, man. Yeah, I
1: know thing
0: anyway so the anyway. police have have described a fantastic arm yes with a tattoo no mm-hmm. less
1: yes. do we have fingertips so the hand skin wasn't in very good condition mm. like the quote it had and what that quote was describing was a lot of skin slippage so um this is also called degloving and it's exactly what it sounds like degloving like the skin was literally coming off the hand like a glove um so we'll get into what they did with the skin of the hand in a minute. So first of all, Detective Constable Head wanted to confirm that the arm had been vomited by the shark and not placed in the pool by someone. Because, you know, it sounds a little bit like a tall tale, really. It's, mm. it's a one-in-a-million chance that a shark would be caught and then vomit up a human arm. Like, surely it didn't come from the ocean, right? That makes more sense for someone to just kind of... Throw it maybe in. throw bits of something into the aquarium to try and dispose of a, a dead body. Like maybe that that would make more sense than wow they've found somehow found a human part in the ocean. Do you, do you know what I mean? I think that's where yeah, they were coming from. I hear. You. <clears throat> Um, was something, I wrote, I wrote down, was something fishy going on at the <laughs> pools instead? Ha <laughs> I'll get it. I know. Gosh. I can't believe I read that. Out. The Hobson brothers were both adamant that there was always someone on duty at the pool during the day and the pools were locked up at night and there was, it was locked up really well. So there was absolutely no one, no way anyone could get in when it was all locked up. And Bert Hobson also told police that he had actually cleaned the water and the tiles of the pool and around the pool that morning, and there was absolutely no arm in there at the time. It was all he cleaned it, spick and span. And every other witness, because remember there were other patrons as well as the yeah. um, reporter, all of those other witnesses at the scene were adamant that they had seen the same thing: the shark had vomited the arm up. Good. So. Then the next thing to determine was who did this arm belong to? So the arm went to the morgue and Dr. Arthur Palmer was the government medical officer who performed the post-mortem examination. He was assisted by Dr. Victor Coppelson, who was an expert surgeon for shark wounds. Oh, handy. Mm, Handy. I think that's why they brought him in. (laughs) So immediately kind of think, okay, so there's been a shark attack and someone has had their arm bitten off, Right. Well, the autopsy findings were that the arm had not been bitten off by a shark. The cut at the shoulder where the arm would have been detached from the rest of the person's body appeared to have been made by a sharp instrument, not a shark bite. And this was due to a couple of reasons. Number one, because there were numerous nicks and cuts consistent with a sharp cutting instrument like a knife. On the cartilage, on the head of the humerus. So that's the part of the shoulder joint of the upper arm bone that fits into the shoulder socket. And that section of that bone is covered in cartilage. And there were little nicks and cuts in that cartilage. Also, the skin was nice and clean like you would expect from a sharp instrument being cutting it off. Like it wasn't ragged or, you know, so there were no bite marks around where the arm had been detached. It didn't, it didn't look like ripped skin. Um, so basically Dr. Coppelson, the shark wound expert surgeon person determined it was not consistent with having been ripped from the shoulder or bitten from the socket. Yep. And even though they determined that a sharp instrument had been used to cut the arm off, it was they determined that it was definitely not the work of a surgeon. It was more of a crude hack hack, uh, off (laughs) by someone with not with medical expertise. Another reason why he knew that had been done, not been done by a surgeon is that there were no shoulder flaps. So this is basically, if it had been professionally or medically amputated, the surgeon would have removed the arm and left extra skin flaps hanging from the shoulder. And this is so that they can stitch those flaps together over the open wound mm. so they're not leaving like a gaping wound after the procedure. But this arm had not been removed in that way. It had just been cut around in a circular motion around the arm and just removed so the body at which it or the the person it had who had come from would have just had a gaping wound left yeah with nothing to cover it nothing to sew up nothing to suture
0: yeah because also you'd think if there's a person running around without their arm they probably would have gone to the hospital and said hello.
1: Um, other findings were that there were also some puncture wounds lower on the arm and that they were consistent with shark bites. And there was also a five-inch wound, um, which is quite a long wound. That's 12.5 centimetres, and and it was quite deep. And that was a cut above, just above the elbow, and that was consistent with having been done by a sharp instrument such as a knife. So, yeah, very strange. It's obviously something else going on other than just the shark at the time they were unable to determine whether this arm had been cut from a dead or alive person they did send tissue samples they actually sent the majority of all the soft tissue minus the skin and you know the hand the bones and everything they sent all of that tissue to toxicology to see if there was any embalming fluid, pre, embalming fluid present, which there would have been if this was like, say, a limb from a body that was being prepared for burial or a um, medical cadaver or something like that. Mm. This would have made pretty compelling evidence that the person was deceased at the time of amputation, if there was embalming fluids or any other fluids like that. But toxicology came back as no poisons or any other fluids being present in the tissue. So at the time that they did this arm autopsy, they were uncertain and they kind of stayed uncertain on this. But later on, Dr. Palmer, the the head of the autopsy, um, he testified in court as to his opinion because he was directly asked. So he testified in court as to his opinion on whether the person was alive or deceased when the amputation was made. But you'll have to wait for part two to hear what he said. <laughs> um but in any case, they both had the opinion that whomever this arm came from, it probably this person would probably be unalive by now because the way that the arm was amputated meant that it was more likely that the person would have been would have quickly bled to death, which is what yeah. I said before. Yeah.
0: Or I was thinking, if you're trying to dispose of a dead body and you're hacking off the limbs and then you're chucking them in the water, mm. so then that yes. person would be already dead.
1: Yeah, possibly. Or like you mentioned before, if someone had gone to the hospital had, and yeah. said,
0: "Hey, um, arm," <clears throat> that's help. right.
1: If, um, Shark attack arm, um, or somebody tried to. Or take someone off my hacked arm. my arm off and presented themselves to yeah. <laughs> so, the uh, emergency room hello. and said, "Hey, um, what can you do about this?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, the, but there was no record of anyone so, like presenting to mm, an, an emergency. I think the
0: person's already dead, and they're disposing of the body by hacking up the bits. And they chuck them in the water. Possibly. And that's what is, is you're going to say next next episode. And you're yeah, going to say I will. you were right all this time. Maybe.
1: Ooh. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so to try and identify who belonged to this arm, or who this arm belonged to, <laughs> I should say. Does
0: anybody belong to this <laughs> arm? <laughs>
1: um, they got a fingerprint specialist uh, called in. And this guy was Constable John Lindsay. And what he did was use a technique called degloving and glove on, yay! So, like you know how I was saying that the hand skin was kind of coming off anyway, so they ended up um, using a technique where the examiner literally wears the person's fingertips to fingerprint them. So, did he wear gloves? Oh yeah, I, I'm well. Actually, I think um, the the normal procedure, because this is done still done today, um, the normal procedure that is done today is you kind of it's either already coming off, and they just kind of take it off, or they kind of cut around where the first joint is in the finger and take that bit off, and wear gloves and pop it over your finger, and then fingerprint it like that. But I think mm. what this guy did, this um doctor or oh, constable John Lindsay, he um, packed it with some gauze or something oh, yeah. like that okay. and fingerprinted that way, yeah. All right. The um, skill, yeah, yeah, I know. But the technique literally is like the person wears the fingertips and fingerprints them um, <clears throat> because when – When you've got skin slippage, like if someone's been in the water for a long time and you've got – or they're very decomposed and you've got a lot of skin slippage on the fingers, it makes fingerprinting really hard to do. It's, like, pretty much impossible. So um, they basically call it degloving and glove on because it's, like, degloving and then you put it over the glove and then you fingerprint (laughs) them. It's literally, like, wearing – it's, like, very Buffalo Bill, like, wearing someone else's skin yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, like I said, it's um, st- still a technology that is used, um, or te- sorry, not technology, but a technique that is used today for some cases, and it was used in um, the DVI tsunami stuff because mm. I was talking to my dad about it, and um, they did, they had fingerprinting rooms where they would um, literally deglove glove and glove on, and because I had to identify all the victims of the 2004 tsunami in Thailand, and they were all wearing. Gloves. Don't
0: they worry. were. Or, uh, yes. As There's in, actually like, a photo online, medical gloves.
1: a research article where they they have uploaded a photo of someone doing it. And yes, yeah. they have gloves on. Yeah,
0: the bright blue gloves. It's very it's clear. Like, it's
1: very clear. Don't glove worry. on, and then glove on. Yes.
0: Glove, mm. glove, double glove, glove, glove double, double glove. They <laughs> should call it double glove.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, I just imagine this dude um packing the finger and like having like a stick, <laughs> and then like gauze and a stick, and then you just. St- and he's not even touching the 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 actual the actual fingers, so he's fine. He doesn't need to have a glove. He's he's okay. But
1: I'd like it if he did wear a glove. Nineteen thirty-five. I'm just. I'm trying to remember. Like they probably had actual rubber gloves, they and might they, have but had, that's maybe why they couldn't actually do the glove-on be technique. Because yeah, exactly. Because they gigantic. would have been very very thick, bulky, and clumsy gloves, mm. and that's maybe why they packed them back then. Whereas today we've got latex gloves that are really thin and you can just slip it over the top. Yeah, of the nice glove. and easy. Mm. Maybe that's just my theory anyway. Yeah, I like it. Um, but yeah, obviously this arm had been in the water for a long period of time. Uh, so there was quite a bit of slippage, like which was described earlier. But um, Constable Lindsay was able to get a clear print of the thumb and the ring finger. Oh, well done. So, and as luck would have it, these prints matched um, to a man called Jim Smith. And he had been fingerprinted in 1932 for running an illegal betting business. And Jim Smith's police file also contained a description of a tattoo that he had. Two boxes in the fighting stance. We've got an ID. Yes. And not only that, the same day that they were doing those fingerprints, a Mrs. Gladys Smith mm-hmm. and her brother-in-law Edward Smith arrived at the police station to report her husband Jim Smith as missing. <gasps> he had gone on a fishing trip to Cronulla about three weeks prior, but had never come home. They had seen an article in a newspaper about the shark arm, and because at the time it was just it was sensational news. Shark vomits arm, you know. Mm. And the description of the tattoo was put or given in the newspaper article uh, as a sort of call to action. Do you know anyone that's got this tattoo? Brilliant. And um, that matched the description of a tattoo that her husband had. Yeah. Yay. So Gladys, well, yay, but sort of really sad because obviously then she had to kind of, well. At least she's got closure Well, partial closure. She She knows that her husband doesn't have Well, partial closure, Yes, exactly, because it's like, well, where's the rest of him? (laughs) So because uh, they showed photographs of the tattoo of the arm because they couldn't um, show the actual arm because by then they'd actually kind of done all their tests and removed portions of the um, tissue to send to toxicology and they'd cut the fingertips off and everything. So they showed a photograph of the tattoo and they both positively identified it as being definitely Jim's arm which well, definitely that tattoo is what he had so <clears throat> Jim Smith we have a name who was Jim Smith do you he know was Gladys's husband he was ah oh, case closed so we're gonna talk a bit about his life
0: oh we know
1: yeah I know I know about his life and um, we'll talk about a little bit about who he was okay James Jim Smith was born in Camberwell. South London in England on the 30th of April 1891. His father, John Smith, was a building labourer and John Smith with his wife, Nora, had three sons, which included Jim. They were a poor family, but they were described as being a warm and loving family and they were all very close to each other their whole lives. When he was young, Jim worked as a miner in England before he immigrated to Australia in 1909, when he was about 18 years old. A year later, his 15-year-old brother, Edward, also immigrated to Australia, and they were best pals their whole lives. Uh. And that's um Edward Smith, the guy that came with Gladys Smith to um, uh, ID. report the, yeah, oh, yeah and, and ID, yeah. Mm-hmm. In his early Australian life, Jim worked as a barman and billiard room attendant. He did a little bit of boxing as a welterweight, which kind of explains why he had a tattoo of boxers, and he was described as very fit and tenacious, but that he had more enthusiasm for boxing rather than talent. <laughs> his trainer, Jack Burke, had trained him before World War I, and he described Jim as, quote, a beautifully built chap. His body was splendidly moulded and, unlike a lot of Englishmen, he had a buoyant temperament, was free and open about everything and was a thoroughly good sport, oh. End quote. In 1916, he got married to Gladys Malloy and they had one son together, an only child whom they called Raymond. At the time of starting his family, Jim ran a billiard room in a Sydney inner suburb, in a suburb Roselle. And then in 1920, he became the owner of the Roselle Sports Club, which was a billiard parlor. And he did an, he also did like an illegal starting price or SP betting business on the side. So he basically, he was an SP bookie. So starting price or SP betting is where instead of going to the races and placing a bet, you go to a bar or a bookie outside of the race course to place your bets. So basically, backyard bookies. Okay. Uh, and in the 1930s, betting at the races was legal, but betting outside of that was illegal. Oh. So SP betting was illegal. So even though it was illegal at the time, there was quite a bit of government and police corruption back then, and they all used SP betting themselves. <laughs> so they kind of turned a blind eye to it all. And by 1925, he had saved up quite a bit of money from SP betting. So he paid for his mother, who was now a widow, and other siblings to come to Australia. Oh, yeah. Then in 1926, he sold the Roselle Sports Club to partnership with an architect, William Young, where Young would fund the construction of these high-class harbourside flats and Jim would supervise the building work. And despite Jim having had absolutely no experience in this industry, he was offered this deal where he would make quite a lot of money from the sale of these luxury flats yeah. and he would just be like the trading trading guy, the... the uh, the contracted supervisor. And so he probably didn't know this at the time, but this was part of a scam where he ended up actually being like a dummy contractor for a group of wealthy businessmen. So what they did was, this is what the scam was, this architect, William Young, and his wealthy business associates, they designed and had all these luxury flats built that overlooked the beautiful Sydney Harbour. And at the time, um, the Sydney Harbour Bridge was being built. So mm. it would have been like, hey, you know, it's going to have beautiful views, views once it's all built and whatever. Um, so Jim's trading name, J.P. Smith, was contracted as the construction supervision, like I said. So everything, all the suppliers, builders, contractors and all of that went through Jim's trading name and was going to be funded by the rich business guys.
0: Oh, it was like money laundering.
1: Mm. In a way, yes. So once the luxury flats were built, the rich guys all sold them and took their shares of the profit and just didn't pay the suppliers and contractors bills. And because it was all constructed through JP Smith, Jim was left with the bill So, everyone was after him for payment and all the rich guys just went off and got their money and everything.
0: Me. Yeah.
1: So, obviously, he couldn't pay these suppliers and contractors. So, he had no choice but to file for bankruptcy in March 1930. So, a lot of people lost money. And he basically, yeah. So, he basically was screwed over at the same time as all the other contractors and suppliers that never got paid. Um. And so this business connection was the point in Jim's life where things took a turn for the worst and he was thrust into this world of affluent corrupt businessmen and he was never able to escape from this for the rest of his life. Now, understandably, he was really bitter towards these guys that had scammed and made off with lots of money while he was bank he was just sitting there bankrupt. So now anything that he knew about the flat construction scam as well as any other information about the rich guys that he just learned by being associated with them became ammunition that he kept up his sleeve Uh and he started doing something that's pretty dangerous. He decided to start blackmailing some of the businessmen that were involved in the scam and in particular there was one guy named Reginald Lloyd Holmes. And you'll hear this name come up again. So we'll talk more about Holmes later, and um, and who he was and what happened and how he fit into the picture. But in 1931, Jim blackmailed Holmes for three three hundred pound, which is almost thirty thousand Australian dollars today, or about twenty thousand US dollars today. And he he did this because he wanted to open back open back up. A, um an, another sports club with his SP betting because he sold his other club so he could go into this partnership mm. and um, it didn't work out so he's like you know I want to go back to what I know so he opened a similar one and he called it the Roselle Athletic Club which was, and it was pretty similar to the billiard rooms that he had opened at the Roselle Sports Club and <clears throat> SP betting and all however by this time Australia was really deep into the depression years. So there was the really rich and they even the really rich were struggling Aww. and the really, really poor. So customers to his new athletics sports club and the SP, you know, bookie betting and all of that was kind of few and far between um, because no one had any money. So And then to add insult to injury, in 1932, so a year later, the Australian government changed to a conservative government and this was under Bertram Stevens. And what, um, what this government or who, what he did was he actually went, no, nope, SP, SP betting is illegal. Police, you've got to go out and enforce this. So they were then actively pursuing all of these SP bookies and charging them with illegal things. So unfortunately, Jim's SP betting thing was targeted as well. And on Monday, September 12th, 1932, the Roselle Athletic Club was raided. Jim was arrested along with 26 of his patrons and Jim ended up being charged with allowing illegal betting on his premises and he was fined. And this is the point where he was fingerprinted. Ah. And so this is what matched the fingerprints found on the shark arm years later. So I guess in a way it it could be considered kind of lucky that he got arrested for that. (laughs) Even though at the time it meant that he and Gladys were struggling to make ends meet, um, it It kind of proved to be a bit handy in the future. yeah. Yeah. So he did other things, like he tried having an illegal pokey machine, but he got fined for that too, Um, and he was just absolutely broke. So he had to end up selling uh, the Roselle Athletics Club just to survive. And this is when he got Holmes. Remember Holmes, the guy that he blackmailed? Yeah, so he blackmailed him constantly again and again. After this, um, this time, the so the next time that he blackmailed him, this is because he wanted employment from him. Oh, no. <laughs> However, oh. you can already tell that this Holmes guy is a bit corrupt. So he's got a bit of things happening, which we'll get to in part two, which are really interesting. And um, things ended up taking a turn for the worse for Jim when he decided to become a police informant against his own employer. Because obviously he's got all these information about these business guys now. And not only is he going, hey, give me employment. And Holmes is like, okay, 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 just don't say anything. Now he's decided, actually, I'm going to go to the police and rat. So, yeah. Too bad he didn't
0: get into witness protection.
1: Oh, dear. And... um. That's where I'm going to leave things for today. What? Yeah. So next time I'll go into how Jim, how far Jim got into all of this, all of this mess and how, why he could never get out of it. And um, we'll meet some of those rich, dodgy scam guys, including Holmes. And I'll also go into the trial of the guy who was charged with Jim's murder and theories about what really happened because Mm. no one was ever convicted of his murder. Dun, dun, dun. And um, oh, and there's another murder to talk about. Remember, it's oh, yeah, the no, Sharcar it
0: murders. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Surprise! Yeah. How
1: exciting. Yeah. Oh my
0: gosh! I can't believe it's ending
1: on like ah. I know a cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sorry to do that to you. It's good. It's You're gonna, gonna wait, have to two wait two to weeks. In... Um. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Because um. Because we're not recording next week now, are we? It's two weeks, man. Yeah. Two weeks. I don't know. I don't it gives know. me two weeks to. Finish and finish Ooh. writing it all out. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. I can do it because I've done managed to do this within an hour. So hopefully, the next bit it might go over an hour because there's a lot to get through. Oh, <clears> I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, me too. Okay. So yeah. Um. Thanks. See you guys next time. Yeah. Um. Uh, there might be some. like uh, photos yeah. on Instagram? What can I, think, I do? Photo- I think- oh, oh, I can put the shark. arm like some photos of the shark and the arm. shark. Yeah. Uh, I think I've got a picture of Gertie. I don't know if I've got a picture of the tiger shark.
0: Yeah, but you could just get a picture of a general tiger shark. I'll just put a shark on. This is the shark. shark. (laughs) This is a tiger shark. This is what a tiger tiger shark looks like. (laughs) And this is the tiny pool. That it was stuck Yeah, in.
1: actually, I do have a picture of the pools. There you go. So I'll see if um I'm allowed to put it on Instagram. Because I didn't,
0: I didn't picture the pool like with tiling. I was like, oh, that's even worse, man. It's an actual, actual pool. Like yeah, an actual it's pool. like
1: actually a 50 the meter shark is Olympic in a pool, freaking pool tiles. Because in the summer months, what they did was the Hobson had the Hobsons had this business where it was actually a bather's bath. So it was at the beach at Coogee Beach. But it's an actual. But pool. it's an actual pool. So if people didn't want to be in the ocean but they still wanted to swim they could swim in yeah. the pool and it was still ocean water like it wasn't okay. like chlorinated or you know what it was um it had like a uh, a pump that pumped ocean water in through um uh, you know whatever but um yeah it was swimming in the summer months and sea creatures in the winter months yeah and murdery stuff and crime investigation in 1935 lucky Swing. them so anyway, um, we'll see you next time in two weeks. Yeah, man. In uh, Not next week, but the week after. We'll get back see into ya. it. See you later. Bye. Bye. If you like our podcast and want more, find us on Instagram and Twitter at MurderMedPod. That's at M-U-R-D-E-R-M-E-D-P-O-D.
0: You can also let us know about the content you want more of by
1: emailing us at Murder and
0: Medicine Podcast at gmail.com.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and want to get new episodes as soon as they are released, please subscribe to our podcast. It will make our podcast easier to find for
0: new listeners and will support us so we can continue to create the content you like. And remember, don't be a douche. I to know all about you.
1: You know enough about me.
0: Do I?